Welcome to the Action Sports Podcast. We created this podcast to help you become sponsorable by learning from the athletes, brands, and those that are crushing it in action sports. So crank up the volume and get inspired to turn your passion of riding into your career. What is up, Action Sports enthusiasts? If you have not already joined the Action Sports Club, head over to ASCArmy.com forward slash podcast so you can get your club invite and start learning how you can land sponsorships and spend way more time riding. Again, that is ASCArmy.com forward slash podcast. See you in there. So, Steve Minnie on the podcast. Uh... I didn't even think about asking this question, but I'm going to ask it anyways. What's it like to be a dad? Um, being a dad, it's, yeah, it's, it changes your life. And um, you, you don't look back like it's, you know, before I had, had kids, like all I cared about was, was riding dirt bikes and traveling and touring and all that. And then, um, yeah, as soon as you have kids, it's all, it's not about you anymore. And you sort of, you go off like I remember. I used to just I'd finish a tour, I'd come home, and I'd be counting down the days to the next one. And um, then as soon as you have a kid, you just yeah, you feel a bit selfish going off on tour, even though that's how you make a living and that's what you do. Like you feel selfish for leaving them, and you just want to get home and and be with them. And that's where it sort of got got too hard for me. It's like because I'd be going away three, four months, you know, well, actually it was about seven or eight months of the year I'd be away and you just miss out on too much. Like you come home and they just, they don't recognize you. And you can, like, it's sort of lucky that we can do things through FaceTime and all that, but it's just not the same. So, but yeah, to answer your question of being a dad is the best, best job in the world. Yeah. You know, looking through your social media, Steve, like when, let me go back. So I've looked at a variety of people on their social media and same stories where it's like hard, hardcore parties, have just a blast, fun, 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 fun. Uh, be a father, man, eh, maybe one day. Um, dogs, heck yeah, let's have, have let's have dogs. They're my kids. Just that's that's what that's that's my family. But then the day comes where it's like, well, maybe an oops or a planned thing. And your world's turned upside down in a good way. Yeah. And it and it's is nothing it's, like um, you ever thought. No, and it just gets better and better. That's why, like, a lot of my friends that are only seven kids now, like, I just always say to them, like, it gets better and better. As they get older, like, you never look back to a time and go, like, my, my son is seven now, and I never look back and go and think, oh, I wish he was still three, I wish he was still two. Like, they just, as they get older, they just get better and better. And, yeah, and you just yeah, watch them grow and watch them turn into into like little characters. And they're, you know, they're just, they're funny. They're good fun. Like, I, I have a blast with my kids. You do. You do. And, and that's, that's a, you get all those that's pictures. Awesome. That's good. And you get all those videos and, or all those pictures of like you having your bike in the bed of your pickup or your truck and his little, little wooden bike. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That was when he was very young. So, yeah. That's all I just loved it. Like, I just, I, like, I never, when I was younger, when I was touring, I never thought of, about having kids it was never like a definite thing that I wanted to do but yeah I never looked back and you know, it's just you know it's just fun being able to share everything with him like last weekend took him to Newcastle for Nitro Circus show and um the last time they'd been to a show was before COVID when I think 
when the stepdaughter was four and my son was three and they couldn't remember it. So to have them be able to come away for the weekend and actually enjoy the show and ride around with me and, and you know, something they can actually remember, it's sort of it's pretty, pretty special. That is cool. Yeah. Has it changed the dynamic? Well, we, we kind of talked about that, the dynamics that have changed in the locker room because now more of your friends are having kids. Yeah, well, that's... That's what I, yeah, we sort of joked about earlier was that, you know, back in the day, especially the crusty days, like the change room was just, you know, it was groupies and, and getting ready to party afterwards and, and that was all we cared about. And then, like, yeah, it's like two weeks ago, we were sitting around at half time and there's a little circle of kids, seven or eight kids sitting around the middle of the change rooms playing with Lego. So, it's, yeah, time to change, but it's, uh, it's cool now. Like, it was cool that, you know, all the guys that I've toured with for 15 or more years, that we've all got kids now the same age or around the same age and they all we get to get on tour and they all play together and, yeah, it's really cool. Like, times have definitely changed from back in the party days in our 20s, but, um, yeah, it wouldn't change it. No, I did. I think there's a lot of fathers out there that would agree with that. It's just, there's something about, and you remember like about holding that child for the first time and peering into their eyes and then, then they peer back into yours and it's like, they pierce your soul. You're just like, Oh, yeah. it's yeah. crazy. And it, yeah. And it just, like I said, it just gets better and better. And does. you just, um, you, I get excited. Like whenever I get home from wherever I've been or wake up and even just waking up in the morning, I get excited to see the kids. So <laughs> yeah, I was like very lucky that I've got two very, very good kids. Do you think you're going to raise them to, to ride with like do FMX or what do you think is going to happen? Uh, I get that question quite a lot. And but. you know, if that's what they wanted to do, either of them, if that's what they wanted to do, I'd, I'd help them, but I wouldn't necessarily encourage it. But it, I would, I would help whatever they chose. I wouldn't care if my son wanted to be a ballerina. Like I'd do whatever I could to support whatever they choose to do. So if it, if FMX is what they want to do, then I'll support it. I won't push it, but I'll support it. If you could push on something, what, what do you think that would be? Well, sport-wise, like I think I'd like my son. He's he's good on his BMX. He loves his BMX. And um, so yeah, for, we're forever building jumps and going to the skate park, and we always, whenever it's like rainy weather like it is at the moment, just setting up little jumps in the garage so, they, so we can ride. And I'd love for him to get into BMX because that's even now, like I'm 38, and I've been around the best BMXs in the world for the last 20 years, and I still love watching it. It's one of like I could, I get bored watching FMX, I get bored bored watching just about anything really, but BMX is something I could watch all day. Really, so I love him to get into that, and yeah. And then my stepdaughter, she's brought into a dancing and all that sort of thing. And I, I we go to yeah, I've got to go to dance concerts and watch her do a dance concerts and actually enjoy it. So yeah, yeah. they can just do yeah. Like I said, they can do whatever they want to do. I'll support it either way. Yeah, that's. I think that's a really good skills to have as a father. Like when uh, and you you may know people, especially that are not quite into the caliber and we'll say you're at a high caliber in your industry that they try to live through their children. Yeah. And you see it a lot, especially in like, I don't know if it's just a, because I'm around it a lot, but the motocross industry I find is bad for that. There's a lot of yeah. guys that didn't make it. So they're trying to push their kids so they can live through their kids. I see it, see it every day. Like any motocross event I go to, you see it. And it's the kids will end up growing up and either hating motorbikes or hating their dad. Like, and like again, I've, I've witnessed that. So you just got to support your kids the best the best you can and mm-hmm. help them out when you, however you can. 
you think that's what your parents did for you? And that's why you got into what you did BMX? Yeah, for a while? They, they didn't, they didn't push it, push anything. Like they were just, if I wanted, you know, one year I wanted to try and play football. So I did that, didn't enjoy it. One year I wanted to play basketball, did that, didn't enjoy it. Like they signed me up for whatever I wanted to try and do and um, bought whatever I you know, needed to, to, to do it. But if I didn't, wasn't something I enjoyed, they didn't definitely didn't push it. And then I just, BMX was just what just sort of happened, like, because I lived on a farm. So you could just go out after school and build jumps, and that was what all I ever used to do was finish school, go out with a shovel and a wheelbarrow and just build jumps. And then I ended up with a pretty good BMX track, but then, you know, as time went on and it turned into motorbikes, all the BMX jumps got pushed into one big motorbike landing ramp, and that's how it all started. Right. You were doing that with your brother too. Where'd your brother end up with all this? No, well, he just did it for fun. He was actually, he's, he still rides now. Like he's a bit older than me. So he'd be early 40 or 43 or 44, but he, um, he got right into the trail bike riding side of things and he still does that. He's very passionate about it even to this day. And he's, he's good. Like you, if I, if I go out to the bush riding with him, like I just, you've got no chance of keeping up with him. Like he's fast, but, um, yeah, he just sort of never really got into the jumping or the racing or anything. He just went down to the enduro side of things and we still head out together every now and then for a little ride around the bush. So that's, that's cool. Yeah. You know, it's good to have family, like, like you said, and talking about raising your children and, and doing this, like, even if they choose not to, as long as you're not pushing them to hate it, yeah. then you get the opportunities in the long, or like at an older age to really spend that quality time with them. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like I said, it doesn't matter what it is, whether it doesn't have to be a sport, like just something that if there's something that they're interested in, I've said it to my son before. I said, I don't care what, whether what you do, just be passionate about it. Right. Just find something you're passionate about or find something you enjoy. Like, cause he's, a, he's got a little fairly like big brain on him too. So I would be surprised <laughs> if he didn't even, you know, do for you like reading and spend um, science and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, you know, like whatever, whatever he, he's interested in, I'm interested in. Uh, Dude, I feel like like a lot of kids nowadays are kind of becoming that way. Like when I played football, I don't know. When you reference football, you're talking about soccer, or you're actually talking about football. Uh, football, football, as in like rug, rugby union, rugby, rugby okay. yeah, which is that's what, what we call football over here. Yep, just making sure. Yeah. <laughs> down in Australia, yeah. If people don't know, Steve lives down in Australia, so we're we're talking in complete different time zones and two different days, yeah. right? A Sunday and a Saturday. Yeah. Um, but back to what I was yeah. saying, like within football, um, it's it was strange growing up and seeing the generations changing where the the big guys that I always grew up with, like I always grew up with big people and mm. now they seem to get smaller and smaller and smaller, but they're getting smarter and smarter and smarter. Right. Kind of back to that reference yeah. to your child, like your kid's brain. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's like I, I, some of the stuff he, he talks about now, like I can't remember, I mean, I can't remember being his age, but I'm sure I wasn't talking about, you know, things like the like science questions that he asked me. Like, I, yeah, he's definitely a lot smarter than what I was at that age. But that's right. but even, like, that's all the kids. Like, they just, I don't know if they're just exposed to more, but they just seem like they're a lot smarter than what, than what, uh, what, what it was like when, when I was that age. Yeah, I feel the same way. You know, and you're you're only a few years older than me. Uh, well, six years older, just older, just a little bit older than my wife. And yeah. I feel the same way. It's like just our generation, yeah. maybe not just our generation, but I feel that as like this generation is growing older, we're just starting to see that 
change. And maybe the guys older than us felt that way too. Just like, man, they're the smarter, the guys that are growing up are yeah, smarter maybe. and smarter. Just, yeah. It might be. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it could be, it could just be that, but yeah, it's interesting. I've known you sort of, you take notice of that as you get older, take notice you know. of a lot more things. So talking a little bit, like you referenced the hitting the, hitting, I guess, building ramps, building jumps and stuff as a kid, really into BMX, you started to transition more into FMX. Uh, do you remember the first day you, you hit those jumps on your dirt bike and like the feeling that you had from it? I do. Uh, yeah, because I used to, like I said, I grew up on a farm, so I was just building, I was just, used to just jump whatever I could. Like I was riding farm bikes. I wasn't on, I wasn't on motocross bikes. I wasn't, I was in my school. I remember like I'd, I was in my school uniform after school and I'd just chuck a helmet on and go out to one of the paddocks and there was just dams and like um contests, any anything that you could just ride off and jump and I was trying to take hands off and feet off and, and I did that every every day after school. And then it wasn't until I don't know if I was sixteen or or fifteen or sixteen maybe and I ended up talking dad into buying me a proper motocross bike and it was just a second hand one. And but yeah, once you once I got it, that's when it sort of started getting a bit serious about it. And um, we built a ramp, and we just it was wasn't a, we didn't get have any ramp plans. I just guessed it. I just sort of I remember just drawing it in the dirt, and we just sort of guessed that that'd be it. We ended up being way off, and I remember jumping it for the first time and went way too fast, and ended up I don't know how I didn't get hurt, but I missed the like the landing ramp. You know, it's nothing like the stuff that we that we built now. Like it was just being like the ramp was just thrown together with things I'd found around the shed, and right. it's very like very sketchy. But <laughs> yeah, I still still remember when I first started hitting it because it was just all of a sudden I was in the air for what felt like ten times longer than any other jump I'd ever jumped, and then that was all I did. I used to just come home from school and just ride, and then on weekends I'd just ride. Like when all all my friends started you know, getting into the going out and partying sort of thing. I, I missed a fair bit of that when, like, I still went out and did all that sort of stuff and I just wanted to ride. That's all I wanted to do. And I was just very, very passionate about it. And if I wasn't riding, I was watching whatever was on TV because obviously we didn't have, you know, Netflix and all that sort of stuff and the internet wasn't even really around that much. But what's this, like, late 90s? So, yeah, you were just buying, buying the latest dirt bike videos and just finding out what new tricks were out and things like that, and then you just go out and try it. And I didn't even know. Like, I'd never even ridden with another freestyle motocross rider until 2000 or 2001. And that was the the competition came about from um, Freerider Magazine. I emailed them and asked them, how do, you know, how do I get into it? I've, you know, I've... I'd like to get into the professional side of it. And I didn't know if I was any good. And they sent me the details for this competition and it was an amateur competition. So I thought, oh, I'll go me and a couple of mates, jumped in the car and we went there and I just thought that I'd see how I went, not thinking I'd do any good. And I ended up winning it and realised that I actually was pretty good. And then from then on, it was just all, yeah, it all just went from there. You know, that's um, interesting. I've heard stories like that within enduro cross, within uh, motocross and stuff like that. A lot more like the local stuff where uh, somebody will will kind of practice and ride and practice, but like they just, they were in a, in a consumed with riding. Like mm-hmm. that was the only thing that they thought about. That was the only thing they could, they could really that could really like calm them down. That actually did something for them. Mm. Um, and then when they actually went out and rode for the first time, maybe put themselves in a lower class and like the races like that, they dominated. 
And they're like, it was my first time. I didn't even know how good I was. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, And it wasn't like, I. it was, it's funny because that competition, there's a rider, one of the night show riders, Chucky Norris, Michael Norris. So that was, he, him, he was at that competition and he was good. And, um, so he went there, he went there just expecting to beat everyone because he was really good. Mm-hmm. And it was funny, like, looking back at him now because he had his band, like, the metal militia bandana and, like, all that, the baggy jeans and all that sort of thing. I ended up beating him. And then him jeans. And I, yeah. And him and I hated each other throughout just because I'd beaten him. He just, he got the shits and got in his car and left. And then we hated each other for some reason for about two years. Then we went on a tour together and we were, like, some were like, not that we were going to fight each other, but we were just, we didn't want to talk to each other. And then we went out one night and we became best mates and then, yeah, been pretty much best mates for ever since then. But it was just funny how, how it was back then. Like, speed, like freestyle motocross was bad for it. it. Was If you were riding with certain people, then you had to hate the other groups. It was like, same with them, like Metal Militia when that was huge. You know, if you weren't the Militia guys, hated Nate Adams' crew and, yep. and things like that. It was yeah, it's funny looking back. Everyone's whereas everyone's just best mates now and everyone, you know, all hang out and get along well. But yeah, back when we were younger, we all had these little gangs almost. It's funny. Yeah, that's funny. I never heard of that. That's crazy that you guys are like I mean, competition was always seemingly one with another, but inside of FMX you did. You had like the Krusty Demons Men Militia and then um you had the Nate Adams of the world, Pastrana started coming out. Uh, motocross some of the motocross guys and i mean on on our end like on my end when i was watching that as a kid i never saw the animosity towards one another so this is actually really surprising to hear that because you would think that all fmx guys were buddies yeah no it definitely wasn't the case like i like i remember i can't remember what it was it was uh, when we were doing a crusty tour and Larry Linkoggle was on tour with us and he hated someone. I can't remember which rider it was, but he was just, he was out forever doing stuff to him, spray painting his bike or just, yeah, like just messing around. Like, yeah, there was all these different little circles of people and some of them just hated everyone. Like, they hated each other, but for no reason. Only like everyone was passionate about the same sport, but for some reason hated each other because, yeah, because he's been. From, from a different area or hung out with different people and, and then just as we got older everyone just became friends so yeah, it was funny like funny to think back to that that stage yeah that's funny your career it seemed like your career started taking off uh out of high school like you you did some in high school but it really was out of high school that you started to take off um you won that first competition how did you actually start riding with the crusty demons well, after that competition, just I, I, I got an email from a promoter that was an Australian promoter that was doing shows in China. He had like a long-term contract to do water ski shows and they had motorbikes there. And so I went and tried out for that. And then I ended up moving to China for six or seven months, which was no weird way, for me. Like, really? I grew up in a small, yeah, small country town. I'd never even been on an airplane before. And the first plane I went to was to China. So I'd never been overseas. And then, yeah, moved over there for six or seven months and that was when my riding got really good because I was just riding every every single day and then got back from there and got a phone call from Gary Reed, who I'm still friends with to this day, who owned Showtime FMX, which was just a company that just goes around with a, tra- a truck that's doing all small shows like the country fairs and things like that. And I um, rode for him and he was the announcer for the Krusty Demons. And so he... 
when the Krusty Tour came out, it was when the Metal Militia had split. With, we, there was some sort of issue, the Metal Militia guys had split with the management of Krusty Demons or something and they needed some new riders. So they hired a few Australians, which was myself, Bilko, Cam Sinclair, um, Matt Schubring. And, yeah, and then that was just a, I was just sort of like a fill-in rider just to come and I was like I was just – yeah, it was pretty much just there just to fill in for trains and things like that. But then, yeah, like rode pretty good and did every show from then on. Yeah, you've you've been working with those guys for a while. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, what? You still work with them, right? Or are they yeah, not around? They, What's... No, no, the same company that did Krusty Tour. When Nitro Circus started, they, they started Nitro Circus. So I've been with that company for 18 years. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, that was, yeah, that's like so a, crazy. Yeah, and it's, um, yeah, it's sort of changed hands a few a few times with ownership and all that sort of thing, and then, um, but it's yeah, it's generally the same people running it, which has been good. It is, it is just like a big family, so everyone sort of looks after each other. Yep, and and why like if you could go back to two thousand two, um, two thousand in that time era. And tell yourself like, hey, this is actually where you're gonna be. And like kind of like show yourself like, hey, this is who you're gonna be. Do you think you'd believe in that? Do you think you'd actually believe um, that you went that far? Not really. Like I, I it was funny, like I, I always knew what what I wanted to do and I I pretty much did the career that I had is pretty much exactly how I saw it. Because I was never interested in writing X games. Like everyone when they first start now, they always think, you know, they always they want to win an X Games medal. Like that thought crossed my mind, but it was never something I wanted to work towards. And I don't know why. Like I'm not, I'm not an overly competitive person, but I just I wanted just to write shows. I, like my when I like it was when I used to go to Europe and do the world championship rounds. It was never to try and win a win a world champion. It was championship. It was just so I could see the world riding my dirt bike. I thought if I can go to do this do these competitions for a, spend a year doing these competitions, I'll get to see all these cities in Europe and get paid for it. So I'll go on, might as well do it. And I'll just, yeah, ride on weekends and then just travel around in between. Like that was the attitude I had. I just wanted to see the world. And I realized that riding a dirt bike could, I could, you know, pay for that by being able to jump a dirt bike. So that was the attitude I had pretty much the whole career. I just wanted to ride and do shows and travel and have fun. And I never, I, occasionally I'd get a, get like a competitive edge and I'd want to do, you know, try and, learn something that might win a winning competition or whatever. But I was more so just wanting to do shows and just travel around and have, have fun, which is what I've done for 20 years. Yeah. 20 and years, 20 mm. years, dude, 20 years. Can you believe two mm. decades? Yeah, I know. So yeah, if you had a bit, had a thought like what, but if I had to look back then and thought I would have been still doing a show at 38 years old, I wouldn't have believed that. And, um, and I've gotten out of it pretty, pretty lucky. Like I can still walk and I can still, yeah, still run and play with the kids and do all that. My body doesn't really hurt all that much. So, yeah, I'm, I'm happy with the career that I had. Like, you know, I probably could have done more like when it comes to winning things and all that, but I'm happy with what I've done. So no regrets? No, nah, not at all. Like, if I look back now, like, I probably partied it, like, went through a bit of a party stage and partied a little bit too much at some time. But, <laughs> but now it's funny because we just, when we're, we get together on tour, we just laugh about yeah, you know, there's plenty of plenty of good stories that we've got from from touring that we laugh about, and a lot of good memories. I'm I'm curious, like talking about the memories and the people that you work with. What was the transitional, like the family transition from 
the crusty demons to the nitro circus. Now I understand that they were a lot of them came with you. Like you guys all kind of came in as a group or yeah. a lot of bits and pieces, but I, I still feel like when, especially as the world tour started happening, it was a different, it was a different feeling. And this is my perspective. It was a different feeling with the nitro circus than it was with like crust demons, men militia, where it was party, 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 showgirls, booze, uh, drugs, stuff like that party. And then nitro circus was party, but kind of like jackass party and have a fun, yeah. good time and just do crazy cool th- uh, things. But it was more, I felt like that was a family. So the transition, yeah, what was. was that like? It was good. Like it was, like I said, like it was a perfect time for me because Krusty, when I was on Krusty, I was early 20s. And so I was in that party stage and I just wanted to play up and have fun and, and do all of all the things that, that you just said, like the, but then, and we we're encouraged to do that. Like we were sort of encouraged because we had this persona that we had to live up to as exactly. Krusty Demons. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had to, we we're encouraged to have hotel parties and cause a bit of trouble in hotel rooms and things like that. And then uh, all of a sudden we're Nitro Circus, we're not Krusty Demons anymore. I mean, it's a family-friendly show and and like you said, it, it's still party, but it's, a, it's for like PG, PG party, not a yes. X-rated party sort of thing. Yes, yes. And um, but it was fine because we were all starting to get older anyway and we could still have our fun and, and do all that stuff, but it was just, it, it was better for our careers because it was just more attractive and it attracted a new crowd. It was more family friendly. And because I, I still remember we'd, you'd see, we'd do a crusty show in certain parts of the show. You'd see parents get up and take their kids and leave and walk out just because it was, you know, the kids wanted to see motorbikes, but they had this sort of some things in the shows that were a bit sort of, you know, not, not child friendly. Right. Whereas the Nitro Circus shows, you know, you could be, you could have grandparents, like a hundred year old grandparents that brought their grandkids to the show and the grandparents would love it. Like it appealed for every single age group and like from two year olds to a hundred year olds and they'd still enjoy the show. So it was just, that's, that's why I think it had its success was just because of the way that it was marketed and, and the, yeah, the whole family friendly vibe about it. And, um, and it made us enjoy it more too because we would just we could just be ourselves a bit more. Like you think, you know, the crusty tour, these big, big bad bikies, but you know, me, Bill, Cole, and Cam were just kids from you know, like I'm a farm like farm kid. So like trying to act tough wasn't really my my thing. So once you know, once you're on Nitro Circus and you can just sort of be yourself, just have a bit of fun and and all that, it was just it just suited us a lot better. It's interesting, and, and we can even talk about today, uh, Brian Deegan. Like, look at the change in, in who he was, like, with the militia, and now who he is. Yeah. Like, it's the same thing, family man now. He's a family guy. Yeah. yeah, he's a proper family guy, and he loves it. You can tell he loves being a, being a dad and just he lives for his kids. Whereas yeah. back when I knew him, he was, he was, like, he was just a bit of a deviant. Like, he, um, yeah, he was good. Like, he's always been – he was good to, good to tool with. And I had a lot of fun with him, but, yeah. He's changed a lot. He oh, has. Yeah, yeah, I think a lot of the guys have, have kind of transitioned that way. I, I'm 100% right there on, on board where the exposure that Nitro Circus brought to action sports <clears throat> has really helped the industry. Mm. Like, without that, I th- not say without it, but yeah, without what Nitro Circus created, I don't think that this, the the kind of people we have today, the interest in 
action sports we have today wouldn't have been as strong or as many as large was it would for people like you, Steve, you know, and congrats, I'm going to congratulate on that for being part of that. Like you made this movement, this huge movement for us and really helped guys like me coming into another, a new space, um, helping more people feel comfortable in it because they have the nitro circus to look at. It's like, you know what, this is what I could do. This is where I could be. This is who I could be and living your life as a good person, not to say you were a bad person or any of those guys were bad people. It was just the lifestyle today is more friendly. Yeah. And it's, and if you ever like, if you go to a nitro circus show and if you are lucky enough to sort of be there before the show, when we're practicing and everyone's together, like it is like a big family and everyone looks after each other. Everyone encourages each other. Like there's been a lot of guys that, like myself included, like you're on tour so much, you're all getting, like there was one tour we went on, I think it was about an eight-week tour, and by the end of it, there was four of us getting divorced. So it was like, and then all that, and it's like you're on, you become a family because everyone's going through, everyone knows it, you know, some guys are in, in and out of court trying to get custody of their kids or they got, they've just broken up with their wife or they've just had to give away all their money to an ex-wife. Like there was all, all that was happening, that sort of stuff was happening while we're on tour. And we all knew that we all sort of had to look after each other and make sure that uh, the guys were in the right headspace on show day. And, like, there was, you know, we, you, you always just see the, the show and everyone having fun and jumping around. There's a lot of stuff in the background that no one knows about. And um, we did just, we did have to, like, even if you weren't close friends with someone on tour, you still knew that they had something going on at home. So you'd have to look after them in the show, after the show, on days off, like just to make sure everyone was all good. And that's, that's how every, pretty much every person on the, is on that tour is like, like they all, they got big hearts and they're all, all good people. Steve, this is, this is a lot of fun. I'm enjoying this. It's, it's cool to, to see this perspective that you never would have imagined. And, and coming into this podcast, this isn't what I expected to talk about. Uh, you know what I mean? Better. It yeah. was more like ah, blood, guts, and glory. Let's let's pull all this yeah. stuff out of Steve. But no, this has been cool to like to see this side of of you and and your passion now for the family. And this whole this whole piece has been about family. It's been really cool to see the the big picture, like what's been happening. Um, to to kind of segment into our our like the last piece of the podcast, um. Let's talk about sponsorships and and talk about the very first sponsor you ever had, uh, which was, I mean, could you say that that it was Showtime? That was your first sponsor? Yeah, well, the first real one. Like, I remember back when you first started, it was when Freestyle was blown up. So, like, there was plenty of people that would give you stickers and you go, oh, wow, but stickers, that's my first sponsor. But my first real sponsor would have been, yeah, Showtime, FMX, because they had all they were the team that had all their links with it was Yamaha at the time and um and all the gear and everything like that were just yeah that, they would have been my first one and like I rode for them for a long time and got looked after really well and like I said I'm still good friends with the, the owner to this day but yeah that was definitely my good my first sponsor would would have been Showtime FMX yeah I mean they uh from what I, I remember looking over your social media it's like the beginning Showtime and Isuzu right yeah, you got yeah, like you got a truck yeah man, whole, well yeah that went on like i, I was ended up being like suzu on a like i rode for them through showtime and then ended up on a personal deal with them up until 
was only a year ago. I finished up that one. So it opened a lot of doors to Showtime thing because you're in, in front of like we were doing the there's shows around called um uh, it's like the Royal Easter Show, which is a two-week show in Sydney, and we were doing so it's 14 days. We're doing two shows a day there, and you're in front of 30,000 people in every like for every show. So we were in front of big crowds, and we we're doing a lot. So it had a lot of um, a lot of appeal to sponsors. So yeah, they had we had a lot. Of, that was sort of like the first team that had, I guess, mainstream not sponsors, not just motocross industry sponsors. Mm. Yeah, like we had. Like we had the usual ones, like we went like energy drinks and all that sort of thing. But then I remember we had a, like a TV, it was a TV company sponsored us. And but yeah, there was just some some funny ones along the way, but ones that you wouldn't normally associate with action sports. Right. And it's kind of interesting that even talking to that point, um, if people are looking to land sponsorships, like sometimes looking outside of the industry is a good way to actually land a sponsorship or find a sponsorship, somebody that's willing to, to invest in you for some reason. I found a, I found a couple. There's like, we love the sport enough. We'll just throw money at you so you can go have fun. And yeah. but we want to be part of this. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like, especially in Australia, if you want to get paid sponsors, you don't look in the motocross industry because the right. Like the, it's hard to get, always has been hard to get money out of sponsors in Australia. I don't know what it is, but yeah, like if you wanted money, if you wanted money here, you look for outside sponsors and that's, they can't offer it. Like they don't, if they don't have any products to give you, they just give you money, which is pretty much what everyone wants. So. You're right. What was it like getting your very first paycheck? Um, yeah, it was weird. Like I I remember going, oh, wow. Like, it wasn't much. I remember, like, it was, I remember the very first, I think it was, like, 500 bucks for a show or 400 bucks for a show. It wasn't much, like, it wasn't a for great a deal. show? Like, yeah. Dang. And then, like, it was, but then, but I didn't care. Like, it was, it was actually the, that Easter show I just told you about was one of the first ones. And the guy rang me up and said, oh, we need, need you, someone's just got hurt. Can you come down and, um, and fill in? We'll pay you. So I think they said 300 bucks a day, which you wouldn't even, like leave your house for now, but I didn't go. I thought, wow, three hundred bucks a day—that's good. Like, because I'd been—I'd started a plumbing apprenticeship when I finished school, and I think I was making one hundred and eighty bucks a week. So to make three hundred bucks a day, I thought that was actually—I was actually—I made it. Like, how do you say no to that? Yeah, and then it wasn't until like I'd start, like started riding with some other riders, and it sort of started working out how much we they were getting paid, and um. That it changed changed pretty quickly, but yeah, like I didn't, I just didn't care at the time. I was I was riding my bike and get paid something, so I just didn't. Yeah, I didn't really care what the amount was. Were you still living at home? Yeah, I was still in my at home. My parents at that stage, so I just yeah didn't care. I was there. I could could go around saying that I was a professional rider. That's all I cared about. What did they say when you came home with that? Yeah, they they thought it was like they were a bit wary. Like I didn't know much about the whole sport, so. It was sort of a bit bit funny at first, but um, I mean, no, like my parents were probably a bit more nervous about me getting on a plane to China by myself rather than like just yeah than doing shows, like just living by myself in China after living on a farm in Mudgee. It's a bit um yeah, a bit of a big change, but they yeah, they were unreal. They supported it the whole way, and I love that. Um, yeah, like my mum, my mum came and visited me in China and was crying the whole time. She was watching me ride, and then the last show she watched me ride, which would have been two uh, over two years ago, she was doing the same thing. She, every time she'd come, my mum would come to a show, she'd sit and watch, but she'd just cry because she was scared. <laughs> She's just um, so afraid for you to, yeah. to get hurt. And you did though. That Stephen, you you'll admit, like you've got you've got a 
a handful of some pretty scary falls, pretty scary crashes. Yeah, I had some big ones. I did. And I, I got, like, I, when I say I got lucky, like, I've had 23 broken bones, which in this sport is, is lucky, I guess. But yeah. It's like, yeah, like, but I got out of it pretty good. Like, my knees, my legs hurt because I had like 15 of those breaks were from my knees down. So I've got ugly legs. Like, my legs, I don't like wearing shorts because my legs don't look good. <laughs> uh, like yeah, bionic yeah. legs now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but um, I got, yeah, there was a few scary ones. Like, there was, there was towards, it was uh, probably three years ago, like when I, I did my shoulder, and that was sort of the beginning of the end. That was when I started to really tone it down because I was just was I never felt the same afterwards. And because um, I had it was when I was doing front flips, and I did remember I crashed in practice and dislocated my finger one week. Landed the front flip the next weekend. The next weekend I crashed and broke a little bone in my wrist, but I still could ride. And then I rode the following, following weekend and crashed the front flip and. Just tore my shoulder bits, and that after that one, that was sort of like I was thirty five then, I think thirty four, thirty five, and I took a while to get over that one, and that was when I was just starting to, yeah, sort of slow down. And then I remember coming back after that injury, and like every injury I've ever had, I was excited to come back, and it was still on your mind being injured, but you just get through it and get over it. But I remember after doing that shoulder, I was just sort of starting to think about kids because I had kids at that stage. And I started to, started to worry about, you know, what what else could happen. And I'd seen, you know, I'd seen, I was there when Bruce Cook got paralysed and things like that were always in the back of your mind. So it's, yeah, it got to that point where you just sort of, you start to grow up a bit and, and yeah, slow things down. <laughs> start to grow up. That's, that's yeah. a funny way to, to put it. In yeah. fact, actually talking about Bruce Cook, I actually had his uh, ex-girlfriend on, Leah Bauer. Oh, yeah, I remember Leah. Yeah, I had her on the podcast the other day. Just a little tidbit there. Cool girl. Yeah, Super she was good. She used to, yeah, I remember when she used to come away with us. She's nice. She's good. Yeah. So, like, having these these trials and really trying to over, not necessarily overcome, but, like, push yourself to get back up. And even though you mentioned a second ago, it's, like, still stuck in your head. Um, mm. What do you think? Why do you think you were so resilient to actually push and keep doing it? Um, because I loved it. I just wasn't, yeah, like I, I, I remember exactly, I remember exactly what I used to think every time I'd have a big crash, I'd always think first I'd be like, I'd pretty much think the same thing before I'd even stop bouncing on the ground. I'd think, okay, what hurts and try and work out what I've done. And I'm like, okay, I'm pretty sure I broke my leg. Then I'd think, how long's that? That's about three months holiday. And I'd think, how much money have I got in the bank? Am I going to be right? Yep. I'm going to be right with that. And then when's the next tour and how many shows I'm going to miss? So that was always after every big crash, I'd always think, what have I broken? How long is it going to take? How much money have I got? And when am I, how many shows am I going to miss? And that all was all within two seconds of, of the crash, right? Well, I'm still bouncing <laughs> on the ground. You're still bouncing. And, yeah. And then like you go, right, okay, that's not too bad. I'm going to miss a few shows, got money in the bank. And then you plenty relax. Okay. Call an ambulance. But yeah. And it was, um, but you'd always, you know, you'd, when you're younger, you just, you, especially if you missed out on a tour, like if you were injured and you missed out on a tour and you could see all the boys having fun and you're at home, like you just, you did whatever you had to just to get back as soon as possible. And um, yeah, like, cause you just, you, you're missing out on fun and you didn't want to miss out. No one wants to miss out on fun. So, right. And I could see that being so aggravating. Like, oh, was, that home. was the worst, worst part about injury was, was seeing everyone else on tour having fun and you were missing out. So that I was enough. That was enough motivation to get back up and get back into it. I, I hope that I hope this next tour doesn't do that to you. 
No, I don't. I don't think it will. Like I was, I've missed a couple over the last few years, just out of not wanting to be away from the family. And there's not really. It hasn't been a time where I've looked at the photos of the boys having fun. Like this, like like I said, this is my hobby now. Being at home with the kids and and looking after them. So it's a bit different when you're single and and you know you miss out on all that stuff. But now I'm home with the wife and kids. Like that's where I want to be. Right. Um. Got a couple questions to fin- to finish up. And it's dealing with sponsorships and maybe these questions will be answered just because of your relationship with Showtime. Um, but you've ridden a few different bikes, manufacturers, and you've even ridden for Monster Energy, right? They were on your, your bike. Was that all through Showtime or those individual no, the all the bike sponsorship was always through Showtime, and the monster monster was through. Yeah, it was. Well, that was all through Showtime. We, we had personal, like we had a pretty good, pretty good deal with Showtime because you could have all your bikes and you get a car, a bike, all your main things that you needed. But then you're allowed to if you if you didn't have it, like if you you could get outside sponsors as well. So we were getting car, we were getting sorted with. You know, payments, cars, bikes, riding gear, everything we needed to ride. But then, if something popped up, an outside sponsor popped up, and they just wanted to put a logo on the on your jersey or whatever, whatever it might be, like a gym. Like, there's I'm sponsored by a gym here in Mudgee, and so we could have an outside sponsor like the the gym logo on our shirts. But then, all the other big sponsors would come from from Showtime. So it was a pretty good deal. My last question for you, Steve, as we as to wrap up, is how actually two. I got two questions. Um, first one: How during that time that you were working with Showtime, you had Showtime to be your main sponsor, and they were the ones that were getting the deals. So it was kind of this is unique, actually, it's something I didn't really know um, that it was kind of like a group thing where Showtime was like the in a sense like a distributor or they were seeking out the deals and then you were the the rider that for showtime though the contract was made with those other companies um how did you give back to showtime and how did you actually treat that relationship with showtime well the, i guess the giving back part was just by riding the shows like we we'd go and we'd have we were doing so many shows with them and um I guess it was just that we all just worked together. We were a team. It was, it was similar to how a race team works. Like you'd go to the events, like the guys have all their sponsors through the race team. They might have a few personal sponsors as well, but then they go do their races, race, try and win the races. Like we were doing, it was pretty much the same, exactly the same thing. We'd go to a different event, set up our jumps, entertain the crowd, and then sign autographs in all our all our uniform, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. That uh, yeah, we have all the you know displays of the display behind us that whatever sponsors gear, like we'd sell, they'd sell clothes. Like if we were riding for Fox at the time, like we'd be selling Fox gear. Um, so that it was a really good setup because you'd be set up at these shows. You'd have a shop there. You'd have us signing signatures, us doing jumps, and that was just how it all worked. It was just we were, yeah, we were just a team, just, a, just exactly the same way a race team works. Right. How interesting. And then my last question, I probably a very popular question, but now, now that you're a father, you're going to be more of a father, more home. Um, actually been that way for the last, what, a couple of years because of the pandemic and Australia yep. has been, been, uh, pretty, pretty rough on it. Yeah. Brutal. Um, what's next for Steve Minnie? Well, I actually, I, I, it's funny you say that because when, even 20 years ago when I first started riding, I always was thinking, oh, what happens? What do I do if I get hurt? What do I do? And I wish I had done some, I wish I had done a couple of 
uni degrees, like university degrees back then. But I ended up getting, because there's where I live in Mudgee, there's um, the big mining area. So well, I started when I had my son, when I knew I was going to have my son, so eight years ago, when I knew that I was going to have a, have kids and wasn't going to, didn't probably didn't want to be away as much. And I was starting to think, you know, what do I do? So I started working for a mining company. And I was lucky enough at the time that I could go on tour for two, three months. If I was home for a month, I'd just go and go out there. And like, it wasn't it wasn't for the money. It was just to to learn something for when the time comes. And um, so I ended up doing that for on and off for five years, doing working with this mining company. And then when when COVID would all came about, um, and I wanted to, there was a course I wanted to do, but you needed a certain amount of experience in mining to do it. So I ended up taking a different job there and. And, like, I had the time to do it because of COVID. We couldn't go and do shows. So I ended up taking this different job just to get the experience up and now I've been studying. And so I'm right, yeah, pretty much finished finished my writing career and now I'm in the mining industry. And that was sort of the the plan all along. And it worked out exactly how I sort of planned it out. Wow. What do you do for mining? What are you doing in mining? It's an underground coal mine. So I've just been studying just before we did this to be a statutory official, so do inspections and... And I like I drive the miner now, like underground, and um, do all that sort of stuff. But yeah, this stuff I've been learning is just more so to um, just to work your way up. Right, that's crazy. That's that's some so crazy work. Very different. It's not as not as yeah. glamorous as, as riding dirt bikes. Really, <laughs> but no. it's, you know, I, I love it. Like it's I love going to work and coming home and being home on weekends. Like just I love living a normal life now. I was very very fortunate to live the life that I lived for however long it was. And done things that I've done. Like I've had a lot of great opportunities, and I think I've made the most of it all. And but I'm I'm happy living the quiet, boring, like nine to five life now. Like I actually really enjoy it. No, oh, that's cool, man. You know, and the future the future is bright for you and your family. And yeah. you have so many doors, so many networking uh, connections that you can basically obtain anything that you really dream for. Because yeah. of those connections, you know. That's yeah, and cool. I, I still want to stay in the industry. Like, I'm not just going to walk. Like, I, I kind of did when when COVID hit. And I started, you know, thinking of other things. So I didn't think we we're going to come back from it. I didn't think we we're going to be doing shows ever again. Uh, once you know, with this pandemic, so I just sort of, yeah. I kind of just turned my back on the whole industry, and you know, still kept in touch with friends and everything, but just didn't really follow it and just sort of put my mind elsewhere. But now that, you know, it's coming back and doing a few shows and, and everything, like I'll still stay involved in the action sports industry to some degree. But um, like they're, they're doing world, Nitro World Games here in Australia sometime this year. So I'll go up and judge judge the freestyle for that and stay involved just, to, you know, a little bit here and there because I do I do love it. Like I love, love the sport and it's been good to me. And and like I said, I've got a lot of, lot of contacts and, and all that sort of thing. So I, I wouldn't want to just wipe it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, just sort of no. slow, slow down a little bit, dude. That's cool, and I'm I'm stoked. And even on the behalf of uh, the Action Sports Club, like we're stoked for your future and what yeah. you're going to create, and keep bringing more exposure to our industry in a different way. So yeah. we're excited about that, and we're happy for you, my no, friend. You. Absolutely. Well, we're grateful again that you came on, and no, I didn't you. even I didn't even put out there. You got like mid 30,000 followers on, on IG, but your, your Facebook page is blown up. It's 75 or something like that. It's huge. Yeah. Well, I don't even put stuff on there. Like I really, I'm terrible with social media. Like I just, <laughs> I put an Instagram photo up every now and then. It's usually just something that the kids are doing. And I, but my Facebook page, I just, 
Yeah, I, I haven't even looked at that. I can't remember the last time I looked at that. So I might, <laughs> I'll get on there now and have a look. But I yeah, need you to, got stuff going on up there. But yeah, I, I do need yeah. to keep on top of that stuff because I still do have a few fans out there I found out recently. So yeah. <laughs> that's good. Got a piece of the fans, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's cool. Well, let's have you drop your handles where people can find you if you remember them. If you don't remember yeah. them, not a big deal. No, it's Instagram is Steve Mini 83, mm-hmm. I think, and mm-hmm. Steve Mini FMX for Facebook. I'm going to get on there now and do some updates. <laughs> That's good, dude. I'd love to see him. All right, man. Again, appreciate your time and uh, look forward to meeting you, shaking your hand. Hopefully yeah, sure. get a chance to go down to Australia and do that. Or if you ever up in the States, well, yeah, you yeah. probably will be. Yeah, I'll be back soon enough. All right. So, all right, man. Talk to you later. All right, thank you. Hey, thanks for listening. If you found value on this episode, be sure to share the vibes and subscribe, drop a review, and rate the podcast. If you want to further your knowledge on how we're helping people like you spend more time riding, be sure to head over to theactionsportspodcast.com and request an invite to join the fastest growing club in action sports. And come join the Action Sports Army by following us on all social media channels. Find us at The Action Sports Club. And thank you again for being a listener of the Action Sports Podcast.